0: Welcome back to another episode of the Konyo History Club. I'm Ben, and this is Camille.
1: Hi, hi. And
0: uh, as we said from our previous episode, we're going to talk about Bataan, the land of Bataan. And uh, a couple of disclaimers, as we said earlier, if we haven't mentioned it before, but we're just on um, average undergrads, you know, under- Undergrads who, what, who didn't, who didn't, <laughs> no did take
1: history, who didn't take uh, a course in history, but are just enthusiasts.
0: <laughs> we didn't take a course in history. You know, the history majors. Yeah. We're just enthusiasts.
1: We're just, we're just having yeah. fun. You Hopefully, same. you guys <laughs> are having fun
0: also. I yes. Like. Um, yes. Again, we're. The goal of this podcast is really just, you know, enlightenment and certain aspects in history and culture that don't get shown a lot in our textbooks or in our classes, you know, in elementary, and high school, and maybe even college. Mm-hmm. So we just want some clarity, just like you do. So, you know, join us as we try to uncover more, more about our culture and history. So yeah, let's get to it.
1: I'll give a few um, background just to give us an idea of the place that we're talking about. Um, ben, do you know where Bataan is found? Of course!
2: Because As I. <laughs> eh. 90,
0: 95, pala. 95 yung ano 95 yung ano ko koye? Eh, Kaya kasi koye? Eh. Kakalakoba? 98?
1: Nine, 99 na pala? Yun, yun. Pataas nung, pataas talaga. So, sige, sa, nasan ng Bataan?
0: Um if I recall correctly, the time is around the um, central zone. You know uh-huh. maybe region region three. Around region three.
1: I don't know I don't know why I asked as if I'm quizzing you. It's not like I know the answer. So <laughs> I don't know why I asked I it a quiz. <laughs> it's not like I know where.
0: I think Region 4A, region 4A, Calabarzon
1: (laughs) You don't don't have to be so specific. (laughs) You can just say Central Luzon. (laughs) I'm gonna accept Central Luzon as the answer.
0: (laughs) Actually, hindi pala, hindi pala siya Batangas pala yung,
1: kalabayan,
0: So, region 3, pala.
1: I mean, I think everyone knows about Bataan, or at least for Filipino listeners. Everyone knows that Bataan is a central part of our revolution. Revolutions, plural. A lot of stuff happened in Bataan. Most notably, probably, is the Bataan Death March. I wanted to talk about but the Bataan Death March, actually, but I decided not to because it's something that a lot of people already know about. And if if you wanted to know more about it, it's it's fairly easy to find more stuff about it. Uh, one of its most famous stories is the Battle of Bataan. Also, notable, a notable part of Bataan is Corridor. So I'm sure everyone's heard of Corridor. It's um, a beautiful place. Yeah, but I chose, I chose to look for a different story because you know, it's fairly easy to find research or accounts about those events. I'm not saying that they're not as important, but you know if if you wanted to know more about it, it's easy to find um sources about it and I wanted it's to talk about yeah, online. I wanted to talk about something uh, that isn't well known at least for me. I didn't know about it before I researched about it, so. I wanted to share this event that I found with you guys. With that, tonight I'm going to be talking about the Abukai Massacre. As I mentioned a while ago, I initially wanted to talk about the Bataan Death March because it was really interesting for me and I remember that my relatives used to tell me stories about the Japanese occupation. But even though I think it's a very important and interesting part of our history, uh, a lot of people already know about it or a lot of Filipinos already know about it so maybe in the future if you guys want we can talk about it also as uh, as maybe like a full episode because when I searched about it the whole history of it was really long but it started There's so many accounts yeah so many accounts and it started from a war spanning years, talaga. so we can talk about it maybe as a full special episode or something if if people want that. So leave a comment if you if you want us to talk about the history of the Bataan Death March.
0: And if you like our content, please subscribe and like this video.
1: Yes, please do. Okay, so I wanted to share this piece of history with everyone, but I have to make a disclaimer. Uh, right now that there aren't a lot of accounts regarding the events of the massacre itself as and I wasn't able to find any personal accounts but I was able to look for at least the circumstances surrounding the uh the event so with that I'll I'll get to it okay so you remember when the Spanish colonized the Philippines right do you remember of course <laughs> I
0: remember it like it
1: was yesterday <laughs> um Around 1565, the Spanish colonization of the Philippines began. But during that time, the Philippines wasn't the only country that Spain had been occupying. In addition to the Philippines, Spain was also ruling over the Dutch. And because of that, the Dutch were justifiably pissed at Spain, and the two countries had battles which eventually led to the independence of the Dutch from Spain. But before that happened, towards the tail end of the Dutch revolt, and before they were able to gain their independence from from the Spanish, they started trying to invade and loot Spanish colonies, which included an attempt to invade the Philippines. Because we were part of the uh, unlucky few, uh, unlucky few countries, or actually in the few, and like most of the wow. world, right? Most of the world, they. They colonized. Is that right?
0: <laughs> so you're saying d- the Dutch tried to invade yeah. the Philippines?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I didn't actually didn't know that before. I looked for this, I wow. looked for the story. I didn't. I, I, I know of the main three. So the Spanish, the Japanese, and the Americans. I know of those three. Uh, so that's why I, I gravitated towards the story because who knew that there was a contender and trying to subjugate <laughs> the Philippines. <laughs> so, um, they attempted to invade the Philippines. Maybe it's kind of like, um, parang ginagantihan nila yung Spain, parang, I hate you, so I'm gonna take this country. <laughs> na walan sa atin. <laughs> um, And this is
0: around what year. Uh,
1: they tried invading in 1646, so around 80 years after the Spanish colonization.
0: So they traveled through galleons from the Netherlands to f- the Philippines, just to, you know, just to wreck some shit. For uh, the I'm not. I'm not
1: sure if they used galleons, but yeah, they 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 went to the Philippines to try to
2: fuck some shit.
0: Yeah, talk about revenge. (laughs) I am gonna go to one of your colonies and I'm gonna fuck shit up. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's gonna be the ultimate revenge.
1: Exactly. So in 1646, a Dutch squadron attacked Zamboanga and then came north to Luzon. Although the Spanish were initially unprepared for the attack because two galleons had recently arrived from Acapulco, which were fitted with heavy guns. Listen to this, Dominican friars took their places among the gunners and under the protection of the Virgin of the Rosary, successfully encountered the enemy. What? Yeah, and in my notes, I I put in, I put in, in parenthesis, friars go (laughs) brrrt. So they won, the friars won, they were able to push away the Dutch invaders, but It seems that that victory was short-lived because only a year later, another fleet of 12 vessels entered Manila Bay. But again, they failed to take Cavite. They tried taking Cavite and they failed. So they landed in Bataan. What was left of the force, they went to Bataan. And there they stayed at the coast of Manila Bay in the vicinity of Abukay. During which, according to the Franciscans, Numerous churches and convents had been burned by the Dutch. So, yin I guess, from head cannon, from my head cannon, um, the Dutch were extra pissed off because they kept getting repelled. So, they wanted to hook shit up more. So, they just started burning things. Um,
0: Bitter sila. Things.
1: Huh? Bitter sila yeah.
0: Bitter sila. Yeah. I think parang, it, it, it comes off to me. As like the the Dutch are like jealous that they were emancipated. What? <laughs> why,
1: why would they be mad? <laughs> no, no. They were like, like
0: I, I don't understand. Like why would they go to the Philippines and fuck shit up for people?
1: I think they were then... they were trying to because this was during the time that they weren't independent yet; they were trying. I mean, weren't. They weren't yet. Pero this was towards the tail end of the revolution na, of the Dutch.
0: Like, like I I don't really get it because if they're not independent yet, then why are they you know interfering in other people's affairs? Like why I, don't they settle their affairs first?
1: I think they were. I guess, uh, y- y- yeah, I wasn't able to find a lot of sources. Um, pero. Um, during that time they were under the Spanish uh, Spanish power right so they were trying to I guess um, they were trying to fight off the Spanish by I guess weakening their hold in some resources I guess that's how I understand it because if one of the main reasons why the Spanish uh, was so hard to fight against was they had so much resource Parang they had so many colonies, na it was it was virtually almost impossible to fight against them with such limited resources. So I guess in kind of a in a mm-hmm. s- in a strategy uh, point of view, it would be smart to try to cut off resources which they got from their colonies. So w- they would try to to destroy and loot those colonies so they could take those resources for themselves. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I guess that's how I understand I it. guess so.
0: so but, um, I mean, I I, but I see the connection. Mm-hmm. But, um, yes, the, we would be like a big source of, mm-hmm. you know, manpower and maybe like firepower. Mm-hmm. Like we would be like an industrial um, industrial weapon for the Spanish in terms of colonization. So but, um, It would make sense that the dutch would try to destroy that but like you know it just doesn't make sense to me because apparently we're like so far
1: that's true and um i guess it's if, yes. we're, <laughs> if we're if we're looking at it from our perspective let's say if they had resources that were the same as ours which is not a lot like very limited resources we wouldn't even think about trying to wrestle resources from the Spaniards from other countries because we didn't even exactly. have we didn't have vessels to to travel that far but if we're going to think of it as they had ample means to to try to invade i think it would be a good strategy because you're getting resources for yourself and at the same time you're cutting off resources from your invader so I think if you have enough resources it would be good but mm-hmm.
0: Can we backtrack a bit when you yes. said that they, they, um, they attacked yung a ship coming from Acapulco to Manila ah, or no. to um, the Philippines?
1: They attacked the Philippines mes- mismo um, the the galleons that came from acapulco had already docked in the philippines so i see they were they were they were there uh, imagine okay so imagine like the galleon ships were just there chilling chilling on the waters and the friars were also just chilling by the docks i guess the heavy guns were on the galleon to try to prevent pirates in general parang while they're in open sea, but once they've docked, they had to protect the land, I guess. So that's how they repelled the Dutch. No the first, ad- mm-hmm. first attack. I think,
0: I think, I'm going to impose a theory. I'm yes. not sure if it's an, a, a recognized theory, but around the 1800s, mm-hmm. the Mexico, Mexico was actually emancipated. They were able to attain independence from Spain mm-hmm. around 1821. Mm-hmm. So I'm theorizing that perhaps the Dutch in interfering with this Acapulco-Manila galleon trade because it was a settled thing the Acapulco-Manila galleon trade so by interfering with this trade they would secure secure the independence of Mexico and thereby weakening the forces of Spain in the Mm -hmm. process
1: I guess it could be a theory but it's kind of too far down the timeline because this happened around the sixteen hundreds. And the the Dutch were emancipated, they got their independence around 1647, 1645, something around that time. So I think that's too far down the timeline. But it's possible that they were trying to disrupt those trades in an effort to try to lessen resources to Spanish. Which, yes, exactly. deba. So, it um in terms of strategy, I think it's pretty sound, especially if you have enough resources for it. I think it just seems a bit far fetched for us because during our time, I mean not our time, but like during the time when the Philippines was revolting against the Spaniards, we didn't have a lot of resources because by that time the Spanish had a strong grasp over any kind of resources that the revolutionaries would need Mm
0: -hmm. So so when when what was the time period between the the invasion the attempted invasion and the actual independence of the dutch from spain
1: um the very first one the 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 one where i mentioned the friars were gunning them down. It was 1646, so near, yeah, near the tail end of their uh, fight for independence. Because remember, around this time they've been fighting with the Spanish for 80 years. It's called the 80-year war. 80 years, wow. Yeah, 80-year war. Mm-hmm. So that's why I, while researching for this, I also found out that there was, during this time, there was kind of a rivalry between. The Dutch and the Spaniards during this time the Spaniards were really just taking over everything they were they were just racing against the Portuguese right they were just racing against the Portuguese trying to get as much exactly. as they could and resources as they could so for sure they would have stepped on so many toes <laughs> um so yeah that's the that's the timeline this was this was towards the tail end of the 80 year war yeah so the dutch were again fought off by the capitanos and they settled near abukay so abukay is a town in bataan in retaliation they charged into abukay and the fierce battle between the dutch and the pampango defenders ensued in the courtyard of the abukay church on june 23 1647 So that was just a year after the initial attack where they were fought off. So they entered entered the courtyard of the Abukai church and just killed everyone there, which will later be dubbed the Abukai massacre, wherein around 200 Pampangos were put to death and 40 others were taken hostage, together with the Spanish Alcalde Mayor of Pampanga, Don Antonio de Cabrera, and other priests and they were taken to Batavia on the same day i am actually not sure where batavia is in Batanes. <laughs>
0: Batanes. <laughs> batavia is
1: batavia is uh the dutch is in the dutch east indies right. oh that's jakarta
0: <laughs> east indies is you know, asia yeah
1: yeah, so it's the Dutch East Indies. Maybe the Dutch had colonies themselves.
0: Yeah, meron di ba? Hong Kong, Hong Kong was a Dutch colony.
1: The founding of Batavia by the Dutch in 1619 on the site of the ruins of Jayakarta led to the establishment of a Dutch colony. So, Batavia became Jayakarta the center of Jakarta yeah batavia became the center of the dutch east (laughs) india india company's trading network in asia it lays in with our theory that they wanted more resources for themselves right Makes sense. sense. because this was during the the 80-year war not is 1619 towards the end of the 80-year war was 1646 around that time so this was definitely still within that 80-year war when they were technically Still a colony of Spain. Mm-hmm. If any of our conjectures or theories or dates are wrong, please don't hesitate to tell us because um, personally, I find uh, Western history very confusing because it's a lot of
0: exactly.
1: a lot of big countries trying to get a lot of stuff and it's it overlaps a lot and history sometimes varies depending on who you're getting the source from i'm not saying it's always huge difference but if we say anything wrong or um you have resources that you you want to share with us we would be very very grateful so just tell us message us at konyahistoryclub at gmail.com I will be putting yes, exactly. that in the description box also, so don't hesitate to correct us. So. Again,
0: you know, we we are a club, we yes, are a club, and we value discussion. And as our listener, as our viewer, we value your opinions. And if you have a a differing opinion, you think that um, we are wrong, or there is actual um, data, mm-hmm. you know, actual information. Regarding certain information that mm-hmm. we're talking about, uh-huh. and we are in, you know, we are amiss on yeah. these topics. Then feel free you know, to, to comment or message us in our email to correct us. Again, uh, the the motive, the end goal, the end goal of this podcast is for everyone to learn something. And yeah, of course, we don't want to propagate us. the wrong information. Yes, exactly. So, so again, if you have anything, if anything with Credible, credible reference, credible information that you want to enlighten us and everyone else.
1: So, yeah, the Abuhay Massacre was the event where 200 Pampangos were put to death and 40 others were taken hostage. And they were taken to Batavia. So now we know that Batavia is uh, Malaysia, which was a colony of the Dutch. So, Again, the Dutch were uh, repelled from Abukay by Filipino troops but sadly I wasn't able to find any research or accounts regarding the hostages that were taken. But uh, later, Diego Fajardo Chacon, who was a Spanish military officer and governor of the Philippines, quote-unquote, was so moved by the tragedy and gallantry of the heroes of Abukai that he exempted their widows and children and siblings from paying tributes to the colonial government. And in parenthesis, I put, kind of nice of him to do that, but also they're colonizers, so maybe not so much thank you. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Exactly.
2: (laughs) It's
1: kind of like, thanks for the thought, but also you're colonizing us, so maybe not really thanks. Um... So, when the chief executive prayed to the king to, to approve this decree, his majesty exceeded him in generosity by extending the exemption in perpetuity. And in, um, to quote him, he said, To all the natives of the province of Pampanga for demonstrating the love and fidelity with which they have served me in the past in times of war, and with which I hope they will continue to serve me henceforth. And in, in, in parenthesis, again, I put Again, nice, but also colonizer, so also not thank you <laughs> So, um
0: Fuck you <laughs> uh,
1: Parang, the sentiment is nice, but also you want us to serve you like lesser, lesser people So maybe not In summation, that was the story of a time when the philippines had been caught in the middle of the conflict between spain and the dutch and as we will see in our future discussions of our history this won't be the last time the philippines will be caught in the crossfire of two other countries Um, other notable notable events that happened in the church was that not only was it a place where a massacre took place but 200 years later on the 16th day of september in 1852 the church was damaged by an earthquake, which it had survived. Then, 18 years later, it was destroyed by a fire, 1870, and later revived and reconstructed. But a good, uh, a good thing that came from the church is it was one of the earliest printing presses in the Philippines, which operated in 1610, wow. where Thomas Pinpin. Do you know Thomas Pinpin? Familiar. Actually. Yeah. Thomas Pinpin, who was sometimes referred to as the Prince of Filipino Printers, who learned of writing and printing, and he was the first Filipino to publish and print a book which was titled, Librong Pag-aaralan ng mga Tagalog ng Wikang Kastila.
0: Man lang Bible.
1: <laughs> he was the first uh, Filipino to print. I mean, I think the first book that was printed was the Bible, right? Like the Doctrina Christiana.
0: Probably. I, I, think don't was,
1: Bible. I think that was the first one that was printed. But the first uh Filipino printer was Thomas Pintin. And this
0: was the book he published.
1: So, yeah, that's the Abukay Massacre. They're
0: very interesting. You know, ano, at least there is one person, one thing, na parang first in Bataan. Yes. Yeah.
2: First in Bataan.
0: Only in Bataan.
1: I think he has a museum in Bataan, If I if, I'm, if I recall correctly, he has a museum
0: mm-hmm. there. Yeah, I think they preserved a a printing press of his in Bataan. Yeah.
1: Yes. Ayun, so. Any thoughts? I'm Are sure you sure
0: though? The colony, it's yung Dutch.
1: Yeah, yeah. This the Eight Years' War or the Dutch War of Independence from 1568 to 1648 was a revolt of the 17 provinces against philip ii of spain so he had control over the dutch when we say the dutch it's not just like one country it's a group of countries netherlands belgium and luxembourg
0: yeah, that's a nice thing to know i i am not sure if i missed it or didn't really but but it's, it's a nice thing to know that we were, well now, it's a nice thing to know now.
1: Yeah, it's a nice thing to know now. We were at
0: some point being all the nice or being harassed by <laughs> the Dutch.
1: I mean, it's not like nice nice, it's just interesting to know. So when we say nice, like, yes, it's, oh, it's, yes. it's, it's interesting <laughs> It's yeah. interesting
0: to know. Yeah. It makes you wonder like, what if, what if we were like a Dutch colony? Maybe we would be like from Hong Kong, perhaps. You know? Perhaps. Maybe, maybe. Who knows. We allowed to be colonized.
1: I mean, personally, I like us. I like the Philippines having a lot of different cultures, but at the same time, yung our own, our own sense of identity. Personally, I know it's there's still things that we can do to preserve our own culture, like fostering relationships with indigenous communities, indigenous tribes. But I think may ano nakaseta colonial mentality né? so it's kind mm-hmm. of it's kind of hard to overturn years of conditioning already although i would love to to see more of our own culture but and i think it, ano, eh? it's part of our identity na as filipinos to have a lot of cultures because it's what happened to us eh? I, in our history so i don't know i don't know what i'm trying to get at but I guess I should say that I'm happy with our culture, but at the same time, I'm not, if that makes sense. Mm
0: -hmm. I mean, yeah, another issue that keeps getting brought up in many discussions regarding colonialism and Filipino identity is, you know, regionalism, you know, the fact that we're segmented and Divided into different areas, different regions, and we're defined by these regions. And and in a way, you know, but there's discrimination, there is stereotypes, and I think that's one of the things that Rizal probably, you know, thought about when he was saying that we're not ready for a revolution because we're not, we don't have that identity yet. We don't have that single Filipino identity. To, to go against yeah. the the Spaniards, our colonizers in general, mm-hmm. to rise up as Filipinos, and we didn't really understand that then, mm-hmm. and we were just in the mindset that we didn't want any, you know, colonizers yeah, er, we want or to be slaves free. or or any masters. We don't want. We didn't want to be slaves, and we were thinking for ourselves. Yeah. And there was I read an account of this friar um, who was. You know, pro Filipino at that time wow. he was fro- pro Filipino. I, I I I forgot his name, but mm-hmm. I'm assuming he had this stereotypical um, Spanish Spanish name. Spanish name like um Alfredo. <laughs> Padre are you, Alfredo. Are you just
1: thinking about food? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Something with a <that>, oh and Alfredo. All <laughs> uh-huh, All right. All right. All <laughs> accepted accept Pedro. <laughs> Pedro. oh with Hindi N- N- Pedro <laughs> exactly <laughs> and um, he was one of the pro Filipinos at that time and he was a witness when the Filipino revolution broke out and uh, was actually successful and mm-hmm. it was around in the 1890s 1898 or 1899 mm-hmm. where most friars were being you gathered because if there's one thing that we know from Filipino history is that Filipinos really hated the friars yeah. they abused their power yeah. they manipulated people mm-hmm. they took advantage of people etc so they really you know took their time in assembling the friars they, they had their pleasure in getting back at them mm-hmm. so you know being one of the friars captured he was he, he saw things at the end, towards the end of the Spanish rule. And being one of the you know, Filipino, um, pro-Filipino friars, you know, he survived. Mm-hmm. He survived the, the onslaught until around 18, no, 1921, I
2: believe. Uh-huh.
0: And uh, what he saw in, in the midst of the chaos was that Filipinos and Spaniards, in the end, you know, they fought for themselves. You know, they prioritized the connections they've made, the families they have, the communities they belong to. Mm-hmm. And that was the priority, not, not as a single unit, not as a single country. They had to be free or independent from an oppressor. And, and that, that, that's when that was one of the things that, again, just added to the argument of Rizal that we didn't have a single identity that we were too focused in our personal well being and that was one of the reasons why you know the the revolution failed was we didn't think as one and i think if as an entire country if we had a single mindset if we agreed on something we may have had better better outcome in the decisions we made
1: on the flip side though I was also thinking that I think there comes a point and it definitely came during that time that you're just fed up of of the governance that you have that that was the that was the kind of the central the uniting forces that we're fed up with that kind of governance and we're gonna do what we can to break away from that and but I do agree that we didn't have, and maybe to some extent, we, we still don't have that kind of national identity. Maybe because, like we mentioned in our previous episode, that the process of colonization was was done through the erasure of our own culture, to some degree. Sure. So along with that came, came the erasure of our own uh, national identity, which we could have cultivated had we been given our own space. If we weren't colonized, if we were able to cultivate our own culture without any interference from other countries, I would have I would definitely love to see that culture. But this is our history. We are not just a combination of our colonizers, but we changed, we molded those cultures into our own. And maybe that's what makes us Philippine, right? I Does that makes
0: sense. And I I mean, yun rin naman I mean, yun rin yung, uh, strategy, strategy, mm-hmm. strategy, like like divide and conquer. So parang mm-hmm. literally we were divided, yeah, and they just reinforced that division between us, yeah. And uh, you know, you, you can tell rin naman, like for example, in the in the Katipunan meetings, there was there was tension between several groups mm-hmm. from different provinces, yeah. You know that they were, you know. They, so there were they stereotypes there were stereotypes even then yeah and if you recall from 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 the past from the past episode you know, the moros from South, southern mindanao from sri Lumay, they we could consider them as filipinos now but then you know they, they were considered to be outsiders you know? mm-hmm. we we didn't have like a collective collective mindset that this entire area this entire archipelago 7100 plus islands was the philippines we didn't have that identity yet yeah so our mindset was that this piece of land that we're occupying minus the water was just our area Mm -hmm. any other area was a different area was a different country or tribe for example so i think that this this uh, archipelago was really a circumstance an unavoid- un- unavoidable circumstance that our ancestors had to had to deal with which caused you know, further uh, inevitable divide
2: yeah,
0: yeah. which uh, pervades or prevails even now yeah you know, but, um, there's always this argument that ah Luzon Visayas Mindanao there's always this argument like who's better who's imperialist manila and, yeah you know, there's always always that argument uh, the Visayas and you know, they always have their, this chip on their shoulder. And for our listeners, Visayas, you're na ko. I'm kidding. 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 I'm
1: kidding. I'm 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 kidding. i am
0: kidding i am kidding i am i keep Because otherwise, i am uh, hold up!
1: Hold up! Something's wrong! Nothing's making sense. <laughs> <laughs> to close my part, that was a very long-winded and quite segmented story of the Abukai massacre but uh, hopefully it was interesting and it made sense, it cohered.
0: But for our listeners, again, Abukai is in Bataan, in case In case it wasn't clear. <laughs> in case you're like, whoa, what is Abukai? I thought we were in Bataan. Mabukay yeah. is a town in Bataan. In Bataan. Okay? <laughs> Sobrang condescending. That's Parang ang sarap sipain. <laughs> Kupal <laughs>
1: Sobrang annoying. <laughs> <laughs> Sasarado na namin yung club door on you. Parang errr.
0: Errr. <laughs> er. <laughs> Alright. I like your intonation, pa-baba. Yeah, <laughs> so we're closing the door. <laughs> all right, all right, boys. And girls. All right, team. We're, we're all inclusive. Okay, not just. Oh, all right, team. All right, all right team. team.
1: All right, team. <laughs> we're all inclusive. All right, club. Oh, club ngay tayo, All right, club. <laughs> Okey, oh, a team. All okay, right, go ahead. Let's go, team.
0: Alright, alright team. So, you know, other than the you know, Japanese war creed or that's what Bataan is famous for, another thing that Bataan is, you know, known for is their indigenous tribes. And that's what I that's what I wanna talk about. You know. We'll get in depth in some aspects, some history and maybe some tribes of the Bataan. Bataan Indigenous tribes. Alright? Let's get to it. So, going with what Camille said with, you know, end and their relation in wars, you know, I want to talk about, oh, but first, indigenous peoples, they are basically the peoples who first arrived in our country. You know, there are ethno linguistic groups who came from certain parts of Asia. Austronesians, for example, Austro Melanesians who arrived in our country sometime in the early one thousands. <laughs>
1: early one thousands. <1000s>. Wow. <laughs> Titan. Wow.
0: Alright. So let's see actual date. Hanap the ta- actual date.
1: For those that didn't oh. hear that, in case we wanted to hear it again. <laughs> Ben
0: just said the early 1000s. <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's just agree that they arrived way 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 earlier, you know. Um, centuries earlier before the, the Spaniards came. Early ten hundreds. <laughs> <100s>. Early, <one, laughs> early 1000s. <laughs> I don't know 100. if that's worse <laughs> <laughs> Um you know, we're going to talk about the indigenous peoples who first appeared in our country pre-1521. <laughs> When the Spaniards came, there wasn't uh, an exact date
2: mm-hmm. um,
0: when they arrived, but mm-hmm. let's just agree that they arrived pre 1500 I'll, I'll agree that it was
1: during the 10 hundreds. Alright, I'll agree. <laughs> 10 hundreds. During the 10 hundreds. So,
0: That's again, uh, indigenous peoples, they're basically um, our, our, first, our first ancestors who have kept kept their culture, kept their kept their everything intact from any outside or external influences, such as the Americans, the Spanish, the modernization, and they've kept that intact to this day. So that those are indigenous tribes and we have over a hundred indi- indigenous tribes who still exist. And now, we're gonna focus on indigenous tribes in Bataan. Now, currently located in Bataan. And uh, alright boys. Alright alright, team. Yes. Club. All
1: inclusive.
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All inclusive team. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna delve into deep with indigenous tribes because as I said earlier, we have over a hundred tribes. Um we are aware of the issues, current issues that Um, indigenous tribes face you know um their issues with their ancestral lands forcibly ejected from their lands you know we recognize that and if you want us to um you know talk more about that in depth Mm -hmm. you would gladly Mm -hmm. talk about that because it's still part of our culture we recognize the importance Mm -hmm. and relevance definitely of our fellow indigenous tribes as fellow filipinos and as much as possible we want to preserve their rights we want to uphold their rights to live to have their own separate lands to receive certain relief from the government certain services again if you if you want assistance or if you want help in spreading the word or in any other way we would gladly assist yeah. in your in this endeavor. Yes. <laughs> we would gladly assist you. We would gladly assist you. Uh, so moving on with the indigenous people. So again as we said earlier, Bataan is one of the places where one or more of the indigenous tribes can be found, particularly the Aitas, the major group of Aitas mm-hmm. which as we'll probably touch into later they're further subgrouped into several different tribes. But Bataan is one of the provinces in the Philippines that you know, currently that is currently inhabited by the Aitas. So they're also found in Zabales, Tarla, Pampanga, Panay, and Nueva Ecija. Going into that, it's one of one of the things that has really piqued my interest mm-hmm was that what was the you know, what was the involvement of the indigenous tribes particularly the Aitas in Bataan in the Bataan invasion, Bataan war, uh, in the in the Japanese invasion. And you know, the, the things that we learned from school was that, you know, even in in, in the Spanish colonization and eventually you know, assimilation and the Americans was that the Aitas or the indigenous peoples were too fast? They were too quick, too cunning, and they always avoided the colonizers. They always hid deep into the mountains, very remote areas where you know colonization, the Christianity, the missionaries could never reach. You know, they were too deep into the jungle, mm-hmm. and these indigenous tribes were, you know, were known to be. They're always on the move. Nomads. Again, let's go with nomads. And <clears throat> these um, indigenous tribes were were known to be, you know, nomads. So they were always on the move. They were consistently trying to find better pasture, better better resources. Okay. So they were used to um, to moving. So um, in one of the accounts that I read from the University of the Philippines, which is uh, called Pagsulat sa Kasaysayang Walang Padulat" mm. uh, by Nestor Castro and Chester Cabalza. You know, um, sorry,
1: sorry, sorry. Let me pause us There's a cat screaming outside my window. Wait, sorry. Sorry, there's a
0: cat in there. So Uh-oh. I am back. I guess we're, we're, sorry. Yes, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> I was just talking to myself, you know, doing a self interview, and self reflection. Wow, alright.
1: Sorry, there was a, there was a, an outside cat screaming outside my window.
0: The so you know had- colonizers, the you know Dutch. <laughs> uh, the Dutch cats.
1: For for those uh, that are curious, I, I I love cats. I have six of them, so I had to just go check if cat was, another cat was um, bullying them or something, because there's usually
0: another cat that goes into our house. Okay, alright. In this study conducted by Nestor Castro and Chester Cabalza, entitled Pagsulat sa Kasaysayang Walang Padulat, they um, they enlightened me with certain information regarding the involvement of the and during different periods. And going with with the Spanish times, um, it was said that there was very, very little account of the involvement of the Aitas in the Spanish times. In in their research, in which they interviewed several Aita villagers, you know, um, leaders, Aita leaders and elders, they gathered that most of the involvement in the Spanish Spanish times was that Aitas They were hard to reach, as I said earlier. They were hard to reach even from from the Spanish times and the American times. They were very hard to reach. Whenever there was a, a sign that an enemy or a foreigner would be approaching their area, they would immediately flee and since they have a vast knowledge of the mountains they easily avoided all these trysts between these oppressors. So uh, most of the accounts in the Spanish times was mostly avoiding them or if there were any encounters it was mostly itas like young itas who were captured and trained to be slaves until they were of legal age they would be set free or yeah they would set they would be set free, you know. Moving on. At the time of the Japanese, which was the main point main point of my discussion, there's not much actual, you know, personal accounts of the involvement of the Aitas in in the Bataan War. But at the time when they first heard or first came across of the of any aggression from the Japanese or any mm-hmm. attacks or insurgents, from the Japanese, from the Japanese, and when when they first heard of the insurgents or, or attack from the Japanese, they quickly fled into the mountains mm-hmm. and let the Filipinos and Americans do their work. And going to their involvement, as we learn from history, uh, we would suffer major defeat from the Japanese, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, the wounded or the surviving Filipinos and Americans that would escape the, the might of the Japanese and flee to the mountains would come across the the Itas, very intelligent individuals, and yeah. they would have constant. They would actually have constant communication with um, several communities, you know, uh, like communities that were not, are not, um, indigenous tribes people from pueblos they would gather information from the revolutionaries as to the status of certain things and when uh, the war broke out they were very very much informed of the status of the war and when they came across wounded wounded soldiers from either side i mean from the americans or from the filipinos they would attend to them with open arms and any any Filipino that they came across they would actually try to help them they would help
1: I think it's I think it's interesting that that they extended help uh, to the revolutionaries because in terms of protecting themselves they could have just they could have just left uh, all the fighting to the revolutionaries but the fact that they chose to help the revolutionary really speaks a lot about their moral fiber and their um, their courage, because I assume during that time, if you helped the revolutionaries, you would be considered a traitor yourself. So, even with that knowledge, they would still um, they would still extend their help to the revolutionaries, which I think is very commendable. Yes,
0: exactly. Um, yeah. What what really struck me was that they were aware, they were knowledgeable of who were the Filipinos were, who were the allies were. You know, mm-hmm. that they recognized that the Americans were allies. There were several accounts here that they encountered two, two Americans and one Filipino who were wounded from battle. And they just immediately knew. They, they knew that they were allies and just proceeded to give them some the care that they needed you know, the treatment that they needed and you know, they were very helpful they were at that time they were whoever they came across with who were allies they treated them with humanity mm-hmm. and uh, took care of them and at the time where the Japanese rule was raining. Uh, they were at the um, tail end of the Japanese war mm-hmm. around 1944 and 1945 uh, the Aitas were actually they were instrumental in gathering up some of the deserters or the Japanese who were who escaped into the mountains mm-hmm. so basically the the Japanese who fled to the mountains they ha- they hunted them down and they never killed them actually yeah uh, w- while I was reading when the the while I was reading the paper of Mister Castro and Kamalza they never killed them they just captured them and surrendered them to the authorities, so they they still knew the process of human rights mm-hmm. they never. They never killed him. And that was basically the involvement of the Aitas, or at least in, in our accounts, accounts, in this documented account, which to me was very enlightening because in in our books we would often be told about Aitas just f- fleeing from the scene, mm. always fleeing from the scene, always hidden. And that's, uh, that's that's already why they were able to preserve their culture.
1: Yeah, and that's if that's if they were even mentioned at all. I mean, they're rarely exactly. mentioned in their books. Also, and <clears throat> I think that's one of the things that is very saddening. I guess is that for uh, I am pretty sure that they w- they've played an even bigger role than we know. Um, It's just that it's not well documented. Um, The fact that their heroism wasn't um, documented properly makes it harder for them to kind of defend themselves against, against the people that belittle them or try to lessen the importance of indigenous peoples. I guess what I'm trying to say is if us shedding any kind of light uh, or sharing information that can help them show people that they are that they are an important part of our culture and that they have been here helping us, helping us thrive for decades and millennia, then we would gladly
0: for exactly. I, I wanted to end with this segment with this discussion with the Aitas because, in case listeners are not aware, uh, most of our indigenous tribes and even the world's indigenous tribes are continuously being discriminated on. And they're quickly um, disappearing. Their cultures are not being retained. They, their lands are being stolen from them. They're being taken from them. They are people too, and they have, the, they have rights. Yes. They have rights to to live and to have their own land. And to just not throw away their culture. You we know, should not just forget their culture, such as uh, this indigenous tribe, well within the Bataan region, the item of the item of least documented tribes out there. There's a study from. Mr Neil David entitled The Magbuchan Literary Arts Among the Aitas of Bataan, Philippines, in twenty fourteen, wherein he highlights that most of the the culture, the culture of the Aitas or the Aita Mugbuchan tribe, is only being preserved within the adults. And slowly the, the youths are learning are only learning the not their local language. Um. And even their Local songs, local legends, local myths are being translated into the Tagalog language. So their language is slowly being, uh, slowly disappearing. Nobody is practicing it but their, but their elders. And even the, young, the youngins, the youngsters, they don't believe. They don't. In this paper, it highlights that the youngsters don't believe that these myths hold water. They don't, they don't care for them. And
1: we just want to point out that us sharing their stories and we know that just one episode of our podcast won't really change a lot and um, I guess that's why we're trying to reach out to everyone who would want to listen to um, tell us what we can do um, maybe so that we can also um, share in our next episode what uh, what you share with us, and more than anything else, I think it's really systematic uh, in terms of preserving these- preserving- pre- am I saving, saying that right? Preserving? That's a word,
0: right? hmm <laughs> Yes, that is a word.
1: Preserving, preserving these cultures, because uh, I remember reading a study that um, uh, for example, the banawe Rice Terraces. The banawe Rice Terraces are never growing nasisira Because the younger generations of the tribes uh, or the communities that are taking care of the terraces are no longer interested in farming because they don't think that uh, that's where they will be able to bring in money for their family. So they choose to move to to Manila to look for jobs which they feel will help them earn more so they can provide for their families. Which is, as I point, as, as I mentioned a while ago, is systematic because I think that if more jobs are provided in provinces or if uh, our, our agricultural um, sectors are strengthened, then um, the younger generations would would be more enticed or more be more motivated to stay in uh, um, their provinces and help keep their culture because it's really hard to to stay in the provinces if there are no avenues for them to find jobs right so it it's hard it's exactly. it's close to impossible to keep their culture if they can't even stay there to feed their families so we hope we hope that we are able to share information about these indigenous people and but more than anything else we hope to call attention to their plight to their hardships because um it's really systematic i think
0: Exactly. I mean, this is this. this we're saying we're not trying to um, deprive or um, in a way yes. we're trying. We're not trying to demotivate. You know? uh-huh, uh-huh. We're not to. We're not trying to discourage.
1: Yes, discourage.
0: Bridge um, people from indigenous tribes in exploring the world. exploring yes. the beyond yeah. their tribe mm-hmm. b- beyond yeah. what they know yeah. from going into the city yeah. learning more what, what we emphasized keeping the history the culture intact we want we don't want that memory we don't want that entire civilization they the product of centuries going away we don't want that to disappear mm-hmm. we want that intact for years to come mm-hmm. especially
1: yes. yeah. Especially since they're and fighting for fighting to keep that identity um, more than anything else you want to help them keep that identity
0: mm-hmm. yeah go ahead sorry. so yes um, the point, point of my discussion with indigenous people is that uh, we want to highlight that they do they do matter they, have played, and yes. continue to play, a significant role in our society yeah. and in case you guys uh, don't know yet, uh, there was an indigenous person graduate from UP, Manila mm-hmm. uh, this 2017, quite recently. Ah, yes, so if yes. you think that they don't have any capacity, you know, you're very much wrong.
1: Is there is there a is there a? They
0: are very capable.
1: Is there a stereotype regarding that? parent? because I was I was thinking when you mentioned that a while ago, so call, Are there people still think that indigenous people don't know a lot? I mean, I don't I don't know if. I think there one. Really. I think it, it I think just it, yeah. goes to show, cause I, for me personally, like it's impossible for anyone to say that a certain group of people, like you, that you can generalize a certain group of people. Uh, it's it's just it it, blo- it it blows my mind that there are still people who think that way because I think I know I think it's a yeah, very backwards do. way of backwards way of thinking. Um, people are only limited by um, our preconceived notions so let's just throw all of that away because anyone's capable of doing anything I think that's
2: that's the thing
0: that's the moral (laughs) of this entire GA you got that team all right if you got that point hit the like and subscribe button right now all right for those who do get it, you can like it so you can understand it in the next episode. Uh, and just subscribe to
1: yeah um I don't know, did we come off as preachy? I think it's just, it's, it's, ano eh, it's, I, I think it's common decency to just accept people as they
0: are, right? Exactly. If you think, mga Aitas were you know they, they were just thinking for themselves and just went to the mountains into their safe haven away from everybody you know thick otherwise this this proves that they were they had a sense and continually had a sense of nationalism they recognized who were Filipinos and took care of them and at, in time or at the time where they had to fulfill a certain duty to capture the Japanese they did that right they were heroes in their own way yes and they, they did, did their responsibility they did their duty for our country
1: um, we also wanted to introduce a new um, segment to our podcast called Konyu History Cinema so it's still CHC but the C is for cinema because next week we will be um, watching a movie or an episode uh, while providing commentary as we watch so join us next week but next next week we will still have an episode similar to one we just had where we will be sharing our um, the stories that we researched or events that we researched from our Philippine history, yes. So that's still going to happen every other week and then on the alternate weeks we will be doing Konyo History Cinema.
0: Again this is Ben and Camille of the Konyo History Club. Behind the scenes we have Vera, alright, she's been silent this entire time just, just observing yeah. You think she's not there, but she is. She's there. She's right behind she's you right now. Turn producer. around.
1: <gasps> there she is.
0: Vera. Right. Thank you for joining us for another session of discussion. Another fun session of discussion about history, culture, of people, of indigenous peoples. And we hope to hear from you. Plugger Twitter. We also have a Twitter account now at Konyo History Club.
1: Stay safe and please come back. <laughs> we love
2: you. <laughs>